You're listening to audio from Calvary Baptist Church of Port Austin. If you'd like to check out more resources or learn more about us, please visit cbcportaustin.org. As we get into Psalm 46, the whole idea of this psalm is that God is our refuge. Historically, it is thought that this psalm was written at the time of 2 Kings 18. So if we were to read through 2 Kings 18 this morning we would see King Hezekiah. And, and if you've been reading through our five-day um, Bible reading plan, you're starting to read through Second Kings right now, and, and you're getting into Second Chronicles and, and throughout all the kings. And, and a lot of the kings back then, it's not noted that they followed the Lord. Matter of fact, they go the opposite way. They, they, they raise uh, idols to Baal, um, they altars to other gods to Astaroth, um, and, and not Hezekiah. So if we were to read Second Kings this morning, we would find the nation of Israel being systematically dismantled by the king of Assyria, Sennacherib. The vast Assyrian army has surrounded the city of Jerusalem, and the Israelites were hopeless. By human standards, the battle was over before it began. We're talking, as you look off the walls of Jerusalem, you see just soldiers everywhere, tents and, 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 and just groups of soldiers and the, and the whole host of the army of Assyria. And it's 185,000 plus. That's a lot of people coming to kill you. That's a lot of people, right? So the Israelites look out over the wall and um, Sennacherib is there and, and they know he's going to conquer the city. They knew it. He knew it because he had already conquered Samaria and other parts of the city I'm sorry, other parts of the nation of Israel. And so King Hezekiah is sitting here and he's, he's watching his kingdom crumble before his face. He felt helpless and hopeless and his doom is staring him down. However, God had not abandoned them. Even though centuries, literally centuries of kings before Hezekiah had abandoned the Lord, had allowed altars to be built to Baal, had not torn down the altars that their predecessors had built to other gods. Hezekiah was faithful. So in response, I'm sorry, Sennacherib wrote a letter to Hezekiah and he wrote a letter and and in that he basically said, don't get it twisted. Your God will not save you. Look around you. I've conquered all these nations and you think your God is strong enough to stop me. So Hezekiah takes that letter and he, and he goes to the temple. And isn't that awesome how we see this, that Hezekiah goes straight to the temple and he spreads the letter before the Lord. And if we were to read 2 Kings 18, we would see that as he spreads the letter before the Lord, he, he's just weeping and he says, Lord, save your people. I've been faithful. I don't know why this is happening. So in response, God hears him and he says, I will bring the victory. And so overnight, The Lord of Israel, God of Israel, defeated 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. And one night, the Israelites looked up and they woke up. They must have woke up with the dawn and say, oh, we're still here. The city's city's still here. They looked out over the wall and, huh, it looks like that's a dead body. Keep walking. Oh, there's another dead body. And then it keeps going and going and there's 185,000 dead bodies and no more army of Assyria. So I imagine as the Israelites woke up and they, they looked out over, over the, what was the army of Assyria and um, they just 
man, crazy dancing, loud singing. Man, that, I, would have, I would have literally died to be there. <laughs> What's interesting is that we also see that Sennacherib, as he returned, he was actually killed by his own sons. And that is the cost of trying to say something about God. Many have turned to this psalm for comfort during strenuous times. And although we don't know specifically, because we don't have it written in the Bible, that this psalm follows that victory. But historically, this is, that's what most historians think. So Martin Luther, who actually wrote the words to a mighty fortress is our God, he sparked the Protestant Reformation, and he used this psalm as inspiration. Other hymn writers, including the, the author of Be Still My Soul, the Lord is on thy side has also used this psalm as inspiration. So we're going to pick up in verse 1 and see why the Israelites, Hezekiah, and we today can place our faith in God as our refuge. And so what we're looking for this morning is that we want to take refuge in God. We want to dwell with him. And then lastly, we want to be still. So we're going to take refuge in God. I'm sorry, take refuge in God in verses 1 through 3. Verse 1, Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. The first thing we notice as we look at this passage this morning is that God is our refuge. In verse 1, he is our strong tower in our defense, and, and we place our hope and trust in him to keep us safe. What a comfort to know that although the arrows of life fly all around us on the battlefield of life, we can run to our shelter and be completely shielded. The psalmist also notes that God is ready and willing to protect us in trouble, a very present help in trouble, the second part of verse 1. Though earthquakes should come, verse 2, though the very mountains crumble into the sea, though a pandemic sweeps the nation, Though there be catastrophe all around us, there is no reason for us to fear because our God is in control. These verses paint a beautiful picture of God's protection. And we could think of a lighthouse. Though the waves crash on the rocks below and, and the winds blow and the darkness takes over, the lighthouse will stand strong and all who are in it are safe. I feel as if we're all experts of catastrophe right now, aren't we? Because storm after storm has come through in 2020. Yet, our God, the lighthouse, still stands and we should take refuge in him. There's a second aspect to the lighthouse that we shouldn't miss. Those who are on the sea and, and the waves see its light and with it they can have hope. It stands as a testimony of strength and longevity. And those in trouble can come to the lighthouse for refuge as well. We live in a world that's literally, they're searching for hope. They're looking for refuge and for hope. And whether they admit it or not, that's what they're searching for. We have the hope they're looking for in Jesus Christ. And this is why in 1 Thessalonians 4, specifically dealing with death, the, the worst possible situation for anyone's life, Paul says, we do not sorrow as those who have no hope. We don't sorrow as those who have no hope when we deal with death because we have a hope and a refuge, and his name is Jesus Christ. In verse 2, the psalmist resolves not to fear. This is because fear is such a powerful motivator. Now, there's a reason why my wife and I don't watch scary movies late at night. 
It's because I'm a big scaredy cat. <laughs> There's a reason why we don't go to haunted houses. Because no one wants to see me as a grown man using his wife as a human shield. No one wants to see that, including her. So why do people go to haunted houses in the first place? Is, be, is, it, is it because they actually go there to be, to be truly fearful, to be truly scared? They, they might want to be scared, but they don't, they don't actually go there knowing that their fear is going to take control. When they're surrounded by fear, their common sense takes the lead. They know that they can walk through a haunted house, and even though there's a clown with a creepy mask on his face standing in an alcove over here, if that clown touches me, I'm suing that clown. <laughs> right? Okay? That's what we know when we go through a haunted house. We, we, we are fearful, but we do not let fear take the lead. And so this is what the psalmist is telling us. We are encouraged to not let fear dictate our response to situations. This should be directed by faith. It was probably much easier to pen this psalm after the hardship that passed, after they saw the Assyrians had been defeated, and, and rightfully so. When our faith drives our responses and we are motivated by it, every situation points us to our gracious protector. Every situation reminds us that our God is in control and though mountains roar and the waters foam, he leads us into battle. At the end of verse 3, we see the word selah. This means stop and reflect. So uh, during the time that this psalm was written, it's, it's, it's actually, if you were to look at, the, if you look at the description at the top of the psalm, it says, to the chief choir master, right? Sons of Korah. So literally, this, this, this psalm was explicitly sung. And so when we see the word selah, I imagine that the music just abruptly stops. And the choir would stop singing. And, and we take this moment and we reflect on our hope that is Jesus Christ. Run to him as your refuge. And in times of trouble, he is not hard to find. And this is because he dwells with us as we see in verses 4 through 7. In verses 4 through 7, we are to dwell with God. Verse 4, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, and she shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So in these verses, we see God providing for, dwelling with, and protecting his people. The river flowing through the city of God is a reminder of God's sustaining power and unfailing supply for his people. Those who dwell in the city are made glad because they have no need that God does not supply. I'll say that again. Those who dwell in the city are made glad because they have no need that God does not supply. God dwells in the city. This is powerful because for the city to be moved, God himself would have to be moved. From the first light of day and all day, every day, he dwells with us. Though the nations rage and war against and topple each other, we have the ultimate power on our side protecting us. God is with us, and he is our protection 
and a refuge. So here, the psalmist immediately draws our attention to our life-giving source. You see, were a famine to come on America, God forbid, and we were, to, we were to be without food and water, we could probably survive for about three weeks if we didn't have food. But without water, we would only last three to four days. I'm not a scientist, but I Googled it, so I know it's true. <laughs> The point is that when we dwell in God's city with God as a refuge, our needs are supplied. We don't need to go anywhere else or seek satisfaction in any other place or person or thing. We are completely satisfied in Jesus and fulfilled in him. In verse 7, the Lord of hosts, this, this verse is, is something that we skip over sometimes, but, but let's go through it. The Lord of hosts, the self-existent one, the uncreated one, the glorious king is with us. So whenever you see capital L-O-R-D, that's talking about Jehovah God, and that means the self-existent one, the uncreated one, the uncaused cause. The ultimate power is on our side. Notice also that God is called the God of Jacob here. Why would God want to be associated with Jacob, whose name literally means supplanter or trickster, the one who tricked his brother Esau out of his inheritance because the God that controls the armies of heaven, the all-powerful God, the Lord of hosts, is also the God of the unworthy. That's us. One of my commentaries puts it this way. The one who is infinitely high is also intimately nigh. He's also very close. He dwells with us. This great and powerful God is with us every second of every day. He created the world and all that dwells therein, the moon and the stars, and yet he finds the time to be present with us who would dwell with him. We don't often hear this word until Christmas time, but here is the very embodiment of Emmanuel, God with us. God is with us through good and bad, and he hasn't and will not leave your side. And with his presence as God of Jacob comes his power as the Lord of hosts. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him, Psalm 34, 8. This, friends, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This God who created the world sent his son to dwell with the unworthy man. Not only to dwell with the unworthy man, but also to pave a way for the unworthy man to dwell with him. Through the cross, Jesus paid our sin debt so and, and died in our place satisfying God's justice because God is a just God and we know that will not the judge of all the earth do right. He has to judge sin and so instead of judging us, he sent his own son to be judged for us. Through his resurrection from the empty tomb, Jesus defeated death and hell for us and paved the way for us to be satisfied and safe with him forever in heaven. Don't forget, Selah, pause and reflect on the power and authority of God and on the evidence of his great mercy that he even regards us and hears us as he promises. Verses 8 through 11, we are admonished to be still. Verse 8, come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He, spread, he breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still. And know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. And I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. 
The psalmist calls on us to behold the works of the Lord. And I love this part because behold here means contemplate with pleasure. Contemplate with pleasure how he has fought your battles. Look on his works and be glad. The nations no longer rage in war because he has brought peace throughout the earth. Earthly implements of war are broken, shattered and burned with fire. In verse 10, God says, be still. Understand that I am God and I am in control and I will be glorified. In verse 11, we are reminded by the psalmist that all-powerful God who dwells with his own, sinful, weak, and unworthy though we are. The psalmist tells us here to be still. This is not a suggestion, and I believe that this was phrased this way intentionally. Isn't it funny that although this was written literally centuries ago, this has so much application for us today because we're in a world that is so focused on remaining on the go and busy from the break of dawn to the time your head hits the pillow and your phone is off because we all know we're not truly going to bed until we put our phone, we click it off, and we put it in our nightstand. Where it is a sign of status and significance to say that you are too busy and that somehow that makes you cool and hip. I was talking to someone, it's probably a couple years ago now, but I remember bragging about how busy I was. How I have four things that that take up a lot of my time and, and oh man, I'm so busy. So when did that become cool? When did it become cool to, to be so busy that we don't have time to spend time with friends and family? When did it be cool that we don't have time to spend time with our creator? You see, when the world says rush, Jesus says rest. This is the time. This is why he says, be still. In Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. What an amazing promise of rest we see here. And as we read, we see the consequences of being still. The consequences can be good and bad, and here they are good. Be still and know. It is only when we are truly unbothered and unhurried that we can truly rest in the Father's care for us. In the original language, know here means to understand. Surely, we say to God, we don't actually need to be still just to understand that you are God. Of course we know that. Yet, when trials come, we struggle. We cry out to God in anger because we don't feel him. God, why is this happening to me? We ask friends and family for advice before we seek our Father's face, before we seek our Creator's face. Think about how crazy that is. We get so busy being busy that we forget to pray and ask Him to guide and direct. This is the meaning we should draw from this part of the verse. Be still. Selah. Pause and reflect on my goodness and my kindness. You know, just remember that I am God and I created you and I'm in control. You are resting in me and I've got you. As we continue in the latter part of verse 10, we see the glorious truth that God is about his glory. And it's still controversial to say that God loves his glory more than he loves us. But if we think about it, it makes sense. We were made to glorify him. Also, to not seek his own glory above all else will be a front 
to his, I'm sorry, would be an affront to his own character. By pointing us to himself and being all about his own glory, God is loving us because he's directing our gaze to what will truly satisfy us. And that is him. This is not a wish from God. He is not saying, I hope people will see my actions and hear my words and, and, and hopefully they'll glorify me. No, the God who created the earth, animals, creatures, the sea, the land, all that he created. He says, the very rocks will cry out if you do not praise me. He created us for his glory. And because of that, he will be glorified in the nations. There is no other possible outcome. Again, in verse 11, we are reminded by the psalmist that an all-powerful God dwells with us, sinful, weak, and unworthy though we be. Jesus, the God-man, dwells with us as our refuge and strength. So the whole Bible has one central focus, and that is Jesus Christ. We see him throughout this psalm as well, and as our strong protector in our present peace as we walk through life. So maybe you're here today, or maybe you're on the live stream, and you've never entered the fortress of his rest. You've never trusted in him as your present peace, as your present help in trouble. Don't delay Accept him today and experience the peace, love, and mercy and grace he offers. Rest in him. Christian, how do we respond? If you're here today and your world is in turmoil, take refuge in him. Dwell with him. Be still. The Lord of hosts, the God of Jacob, is on your side. Take refuge in God. Dwell with him and be still. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful to you. Lord, without you, we have nothing. We are nothing. I pray that you'll use your word this morning to affect change in our hearts, in my heart. In a world that, 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 that turns its gaze away from you, help us to focus on you as our greatest treasure and our greatest pleasure. Help us to take refuge in you when the storms come around us. Father, give us grace to take these truths and apply them to our lives this week. Help us to encourage one another in these truths. Give us grace. In your name we pray.